Hey Cross of Life, Pastor Caleb here. We had a little bit of a sound technical difficulty at the beginning of the sermon, so you will not hear the reading of the text for this sermon. The text was Luke 11 verses 1 to 13, if you would like to look it up before listening to the sermon. Enjoy God's Word. All right, so for the teaching for today, like you saw, we uh, read through part of the Lord's Prayer as it's confessed for us in Luke's Gospel, um, but I'm not going to teach through the Lord's Prayer. As much as I would like to, uh, we have done that actually in a couple different ways in our congregation. First of all, a couple of years ago, I, I preached a sermon series called Echo the Lord's Prayer, where I went through every single petition of the Lord's Prayer sermon by sermon and laid out the whole thing for you. So if you want to understand what the Bible has to say about the Lord's Prayer in detail, go back and listen to this sermon series. I'll link it in our newsletter um, for this week. And those of you who come here for uh, communion also know that during the communion liturgy, we often work through the Lord's Prayer in the Catechism. So I'm not going to rehash a whole bunch of stuff that I've already taught and continue to teach. I'm going to give you just a basic primer on what it means to pray. Right? We're, we're not just learning the words that Jesus says we should pray, but the concept of prayer in general. And I actually think that's truer to the text. Because how does the text start? When Jesus is praying, his disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us how to do this. We don't know what we're doing. It seems like you know something that we don't know and we need to know it. So we're gonna learn the basics of prayer. We're gonna break the teaching into four points. If you have a note sheet, you can see those four points. We're gonna talk about the form, the function, the fulfillment, and the father of prayer. So first, the form of prayer. When Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, he says, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. He wants you to say the Lord's Prayer. Uh, by the way, this is the reason that if you come to this church, you hear us pray the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. It's because Jesus said, when you pray, say this. These specific words, say them. They are the perfect prayer in some sense. They are the prayer that you could say that will always be answered yes in every situation because God promises this is how you're supposed to pray. I timed myself this week. It takes me 30 seconds to pray through the Lord's Prayer. 30 seconds of my day to say a perfect prayer that God is going to answer every single time. It's almost like clickbait, isn't it? Like Jesus is like, this one weird trick that demons don't want you to know, 30 seconds can change your life. I saw this meme, it just made me think of it. Like Jesus makes like a YouTube channel and he, he has, I spent 72 hours in a cave, gone wrong. No clickbait. It's the same idea, right? It seems almost too good to be true. Like say these specific words and I'm gonna answer this prayer every single time, but that is exactly what Jesus says. Say the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, say it. You might not say it any other time in your week besides this Sunday, but you should. Because Jesus says the way to learn how to pray is to say these words. Now someone might challenge me and say, but pastor, first of all, we say a whole bunch of prayers that are not the Lord's Prayer in our worship services, and it seems to me that Jesus says a whole bunch of prayers that are not the Lord's Prayer in his life. And I'd say, exactly. That's good that you know what Jesus says when he teaches this same concept in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, he teaches the Lord's Prayer, and he says this. This, then, is how you should pray. He changes it. He says, in one place, say these words, and in another place, say it like this. Or, or if you want to fill in a blank, when you pray, you don't just say the Lord's Prayer. You model your prayers after the Lord's Prayer. 
You take the Lord's Prayer and you say, the structure, the ideas, I'm going to take these and put these into my prayers. So on the one hand, we say the Lord's Prayer. On the other hand, we use it as a model. And this is really good because um, there's a certain sense in which like, we want to fall to one or the other side of this. We want to say the best prayers are the ones that come from the heart. They just flow out of our, mi- our mouths and our souls. All those written prayers, they're, they're cold and they're formulaic and, and there's no heart behind them. That's well, kind of true, except for Jesus said, say formulaic prayers. Say this Lord's Prayer. Here's 150 psalms that you can pray that are absolutely formulaic. Pray them. And so those of us on the other side might say, well, you have to pray what the Bible says. The Bible says these prayers, pray these prayers. In fact, your prayers that you make up, they're somehow like a little bit less than. Both of these are somewhat true, but they're also somewhat false. We walk that middle ground that does praying prayers that are written down for us in Scripture, really good. Praying prayers that come from the heart and are based on the Lord's Prayer, really good. The place we should be uncomfortable, though, is the place where our prayers are just whatever we want to say. If they're not informed by the scripture, they're not informed by the Psalms, they're not modeled in some way after the prayers that Jesus told us to pray, that's where we should get uncomfortable and say, am I really praying or am I just worshiping whenever I want to worship? You know, the formulaic prayers, because that's, I think, the harder thing for us as uh, Christians in the modern world, uh, those formulaic prayers are actually really helpful if you don't know how to pray. I think of it a lot like dancing. And if you've learned to dance, you've ever taken a ballroom dancing class because your wife forced you to, just kidding. Um, but you've learned a dance step, you, you know that you start out having no idea how to do it, right? And, and you have to work yourself through it very slowly, like one, two, three, one, two, three, right? And you, you're, you're looking at your feet and you're not enjoying it at all, but you're going through the formula, you're practicing the steps so that as you practice them, you start to become more and more comfortable with them and eventually you can just do the dance. There's something like that in prayer for us. Prayer is like dancing. We might see these formulaic prayers and we might say, I don't really understand this. This makes me uncomfortable. I would never pray for this. What does this even mean? Jesus says, do it. One, two, three, one, two, three. The practice of praying like Jesus teaches us to pray will teach us to dance. And you know that once you know a few dance steps, you can, you can start to improvise. You can start to enjoy the expression of dancing, not just the steps, but the show of it, right? There, there's something there in learning how to pray. And so if you're one of those people who's uncomfortable praying, especially if you're uncomfortable praying in public, or around your family, or even in private, you're unsure, what do, I, what do I say, how do I do this? Start with the steps. One, two, three, one, two, three. That can be the Lord's Prayer, or if you want, the Psalms. I put down a whole bunch of psalms here. Um, I'll include these for you in the newsletter of prayers that you can pray. But these are all really super accessible psalms that are right in the scripture for you, easy prayers to pray. I would encourage you to take one of these and pray it every single day for two weeks. Don't read anything else in the Bible. Don't pray anything else. Pray this for two weeks because that's how you learn to dance. You do the same thing over and over and over until you find the joy of the step. So Jesus teaches us the form of prayer, then he also teaches us the function of prayer. 
Uh, Jesus continues his teaching after teaching the Lord's Prayer by telling this story about a man who goes to his friend at midnight. Um, now, we have to give a little bit of context to this. Like, for them, midnight was truly midnight. Like, some of you are, like, thinking about maybe I should go to bed in the next couple hours at midnight. But for them, midnight was literally midnight. Like, it was the middle of the night. It was the darkest part of the night. It was the time when everybody should be asleep. And so this guy who has his friend come over for a visit knocks on his neighbor's door at midnight and says, hey, can I get three loaves of bread to feed my friend who came for a visit? Now, I think the thing we should notice about this first is how little of a deal this is. Like, I could maybe understand going to your neighbor's house at midnight and knocking on the door because, like, your wife fell down the stairs and broke both her legs. Or, like, your, your kid is choking and dying. Like, you're going to your neighbor, you're knocking. Okay. But you need three loaves of bread. Because a guy who you probably should have known was coming is at your house. I mean, this is kind of a, a, a minor thing, and yet Jesus uses this as an example of what it means to pray. I mean, as we listen to the, the story, we kind of have this reaction, I think, as we read it. Like, really? You're waking your neighbor up for that? But that's exactly what Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to see that when we go to God in prayer, we go with a certain sense that I can go with anything. Like, I don't just have to go with the big things, the obvious things, the my wife has a health problem, my kids are suffering, whatever it is, problems. You can go with the stuff that, that if somebody heard your prayers, they might ask, really? You're praying to God for that? You know, everybody, in some sense, prays. And most people, even if they're not Christian, will pray for the big things. But Christians uniquely know that they can go to God even for the little things, even for the daily things, even for the things that would seem like not a big deal to anybody. They can have the ear of the king of the universe. I know I've used this illustration before, but it's worth remembering. In the castle, who can wake up the king in the middle of the night to ask him for a glass of water? His child. Even his wife would roll over and say, get it yourself. But his child, when, when they come to his bedside in the middle of the night, Daddy, can I have a glass of water? The king will get out of his bed and will get that child what he needs. The same is true for you, Christian. As you go to your Father in heaven, go at any time with anything, and he will answer. We notice something else, though, from this prayer, excuse me, this story about the man who goes to his friend at midnight. And it's in the text where Jesus explains it and says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up. This phrase, shameless audacity, is really interesting. Uh, it, it maybe is better translated with a phrase that we don't really use in English anymore, which is self-abasing. It's this idea of, like, throwing away your dignity as you ask for something. Like, you're not even self-respecting as you go and ask for this thing. You have no sense of, like, decorum or manners. You're just, blah, here it is, all of it. Jesus says this, too, is how we ought to pray. Because it humbles us. What the Bible says in another place is that Jesus knows every single thing that you could possibly need before you ask for it. So the point of prayer is not primarily to ask for things, for God to give them to you. 
Well, that is part of it, and while God loves hearing your prayers and does answer your prayers, the primary purpose of prayer is to form you as a person. It's to remind you that you are not God. It forces you to say to God, God, I can't, which is hard. Because the can-do spirit of Western idealism tells us that we can. Just a little bit more work, just a little bit more time, just a little bit more effort, just take this pill, fix my schedule, work a different job, be with somebody different, then I'll be able to. But prayer forces us to say to God, I can't. And isn't that humbling? Not just in the fact that you have to say you can't when you want to believe you can, but like just from a secular point of view, if you look at somebody who's praying, what are they doing? They look like they're talking to the air. Now, you know, Christian, that your God hears every single prayer that you give him. But there is something about prayer that is humbling. It is showing you that you believe something bigger than you is out there and has control over your life. Prayer reminds us who God is. It reminds us that we're not God, that there is a God, that we are subservient and dependent on him, and that we can go to him with anything. In some sense, um, prayer forms us. It's not like a divine vending machine where we push the right buttons and get the right outcome. It is a practice of forming ourselves into what we were always meant to be, God's creation for his love and affection. So that's the form and the function. Now the fulfillment. Jesus continues his teaching by saying, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, this is one of those passages that gets very easily abused. Because when people read this passage, they think of themselves first and foremost, not Jesus. I want to ask for what I want to have. I want to seek for what I want to find. I want the doors that I want opened so that I can go to the places that I want to go. And unfortunately, in many Christian churches, you would even hear a preaching like that. All you need to do is ask God for these things, and he would provide you with whatever you want, a better relationship, more money, a better house, happier life. Not true. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Let's break it down and see. First of all, look at the verbs that Jesus gives. Ask, seek, and knock. There is something about these individual verbs that teaches us unique things about prayer and how it is fulfilled. The first one is easy, ask. That's kind of what we all think of as prayer. Right? Go to God and request something of him. But then the other two, I think, change our perception of prayer slightly. Seek is the second one. If you're seeking for something, think I'm playing hide and seek as a kid, it takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. I don't immediately find what I'm looking for. I go back to all the different places and try to find what I'm looking for. And so part of prayer is not just going to God and saying, hey God, I want to fill in the blank, and then going on with your life. Part of prayer is not just asking God for something, but then seeking for his answers in scripture. Where does God talk? In the Bible. And so part of the practice of prayer is not just to ask for whatever you want, but to seek for God's answers to what you want in the scripture. And then knock is the third thing he says. Uh, nobody knocks once. Right? If you're sitting in your living room and you hear this, you say to your honey, did something fall? 
You don't know anybody's at the door because you need to hear the constant knocking, don't you? Jesus says, go back to this again and again and again. Part of prayer is not just asking for something like the divine vending machine, push the right buttons, but the practice of going back to God again and again. We ask, we seek in Scripture, and we repeatedly knock for the answers. And when we do this, Jesus says that it will be given to you. Now, my, my grammar nerds, an antecedent, our pronoun needs an antecedent, right? If you have a word like it or you, you need to know who that it or you actually are. So what's the antecedent of the pronoun it? Many of us would like to believe it's whatever we want. <laughs> ask for anything and it will be given to you. That's not what he says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Well, what is the it? Well, Jesus tells us at the end of the text, right? He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In some sense, Jesus says, every single prayer that you give to God is you asking for the Holy Spirit. You might think that I'm asking for a better job or someone to love or my kids to make it through life basically unscathed or for my health to get a little bit better or for the government to figure out its problems or whatever your prayers are for. But what you're really asking for behind all those things is the Holy Spirit. You're asking for the Holy Spirit to come with God's word to comfort you, to remind you of his promises. You're asking for the Holy Spirit to come and take control of the events of your life so that they all work out for the good of those who love God. And God says, when you ask, it will be given to you. So you might not get more money. Your health might not come back. Your kids might still go off the rails. Your marriage still might fall apart. The government may still dissolve in some way. But it will be yours. The Holy Spirit will be with you because God promises to give the Holy Spirit whatever we ask, seek, and find. The it of our prayers is the Holy Spirit. And God promises to always give us that Holy Spirit. The reason we're disappointed with this is because we kind of want God to be our assistant, not our God. Which is why the form and the function of prayer are so important. To go through the practice that Jesus gives us of praying his prayers so that we are, for, uh, by, we are formed into these humble recipients of God's good gifts. So we go to Father. When Jesus teaches this, he speaks to the fathers who are listening, and he gives an example. He says, which of you fathers, if your child asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says, look, fellas, y'all are evil, <laughs> sinful, corrupt by nature, and yet when your kids come to you, you give them good things. Right? You, you give them what they need in every situation, even though you are evil. How much more would a perfect father in heaven give good gifts to his children? And so as we think about the form, the function, and the fulfillment of prayer, let us never lose sight of the fact that we go to this father in prayer. And let's meditate on that for a little bit, a little bit and, and pull out some things. Like I talked to the to children, if we are children of the Father, then we have the ability to ask in certain ways. First of all, to ask forgetting the past. You know, if I sinned against one of you, 
I would give you a little bit of time before I asked you to do something for me. But you don't have to with God. Some of us think that. I can't go to God. I just fell into that sin again. I can't go to God. I haven't been to church in months. I can't go to God. I haven't been opening the Bible. I can't go to God. I haven't prayed in years. Not true. If he's a father. You can go to your father no matter what has just happened three seconds ago, and he will gladly hear your prayers. And you can ask without understanding. Children don't understand their parents. <laughs> they don't understand what their parents do, why their parents do it. But they continue to ask because they trust that their parents love them and want what is best for them. And you can do the same thing with God. If God is like an employer to you or an assistant to you, you will seek to understand him. In fact, you will be irritated when he doesn't do what you ask because you think you should understand him. In a sense, you think you should be God and he should be your servant. But if God is your God, then you will gladly ask him without needing to understand, simply trusting that the power that he has is, fu is funneled through his love for your good. And so he might not answer your prayer the way you want. In fact, he might answer it the exact opposite way that you want. But he does it because he wants to give you good gifts, even more than an evil father would give to their children. One more thing to meditate on with a father. So ask ourselves this question, how does someone get a father? Maybe it's pedantic, but how does someone get a father? The father chooses them. You don't go to somebody and say, now you are my father, I have decided. <laughs> now you are my father, I will live in your house. That's how you get a restraining order. <laughs> a father chooses to have a child. Whether he chooses through adoption, whether he chooses through his actions to have a child, the father chooses the child. And the same thing is true for us in God. If you think you're choosing God, you're wrong. God chose you long ago. And he chose you not to just be a slave, but a son. To be one who can come and have his ear in the middle of the night and ask him for whatever you want to self-abase before him. And know that he will answer with what is even better for you than what you would have asked for. He is a good father. And all of this is dependent on him. He is not your father because you chose him. He is your father because he chose you. And so pray to him. Let's review. The form of prayer teaches us how to pray because we need to learn how. We need to know the words, the steps, and practice them daily. The function of prayer is to remind us who we are and to humble us, to put us in our place below God who is over us. The fulfillment of prayer is that God will give us even better than what we ask for, and finally, the father of prayer is that God chose us, and we approach him as dear children. So let's do that now. Our father, we sit in awe of your amazing power and control over all things, and we come to you with all of our requests, the big things that seem obvious, the little things that seem menial, the things that make us cry, the things that bring us joy, the things that frustrate us. And we trust, because our son has taught us this, that you will answer all prayer, and you will answer it for our good. So, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us the words to say through your scriptures. 
enlighten our hearts through the Holy Spirit to say our own prayers that are pleasing in your sight. And when our prayers seem uh, like a mess, remind us of what the Holy Spirit promises, to take our prayers and bring them before you as beautiful offerings of incense. And then form us through prayer into your humble sons and daughters who know our place and rejoice in being in your family. We ask this all in your name. Amen.